0: This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron
1: Harbaugh.
0: The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, a live calling show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel.
1: Good to be with you today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. Once again, that's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car. The safest way to call on this cold day is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, One move, hit the call now banner and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer our main number one more time is three four zero ninety five eighty five good to have you with us today uh tonight because it's wednesday i'll be teaching out of the book of genesis tonight at seven o'clock you can watch it live at CalvarySA.com, or you can join us um, Wednesday nights are not so crowded. we got plenty of room. We'd love to have you here. I'm going to be in Genesis, finishing Chapter 1, God's Masterpiece. That's you and me, mankind. So we're going to be doing that one tonight. And... Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Tomorrow, of course, Thursday is the Date Day Show. Paula will be live in the studio with me. And ladies, she's going to tell you this is your last opportunity to sign up for the Women's Retreat coming up a week from tomorrow. Uh, So uh, we'd love to have you join us for that as well. Okay, let me get to some questions that have been sent in while we wait your phone calls. Uh, The first one is from Kirby from our mobile app. Um, Pastor On just out of curiosity, do you think that the Hebrew language would have come from the dispersion of nations in Genesis 11. And do you think that maybe Hebrew came from or finds its root in the language that Noah spoke? And so in that same vein, could it have been the same language that Adam spoke? Also related to the dispersion, the Tower of Babel, who directed its buildings? uh, Its building, was it Nimrod? Uh, It was Nimrod. Let me do that because it's quick and easy and the answer is clear. But uh, it was Nimrod, the, the, the man of renown, um, um, an infamous historical figure. Um, but Nimrod was be behind all of that rebellion against God. Now, regarding the languages, and Kirby, uh, I get asked these kind of questions, did, he, did Adam and Eve speak Hebrew? The answer is no. We don't know what they spoke, and there's no way to know it, and there's no way to connect the languages. Here's what we know. We know that the, the mankind had one language until the Tower of Babel when God confused the language. And what he did is he sent people out in different directions, and they would just naturally go with the people that they could understand. So um, whatever those languages were, I was asked once if, if English was spoken, uh, from that dispersion and and the answer is probably yes you know we have european ancestors and um so we don't know but but we don't have any information whatsoever about the languages uh simply because they would have been in their their infant stages and there's no way to connect them you know we we have um um a lot of our words in english come from the root word in latin and and we just don't have any way of knowing. God just created it. So the the first time anybody spoke anything other than whatever that original language was, um, it was it was brand new. So God is the author of it. I think we'll we'll have some interesting conversations with Jesus about that when we get to uh, heaven, when we get to be with him. But for now, we have no way of knowing. I was once told on this radio program that uh, Noah. Uh, and all the way back to Adam, they spoke Hebrew. And I said, well, what makes you think that? Well, well, the official language of heaven is Hebrew. Um, you know, while that sounds really practical, uh, truth is um, that would be not the case, not at all. So thank you for the question, Kirby. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, let's go to Cindy calling on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hey Pastor Ron. I'm I'm curious about something. I've got two questions. One, how much time has gone by from the time that Noah stepped off of the ark up until present time? And in Daniel, with all his prophecies, were there any are there any more prophecies in the book of Daniel that need to be fulfilled? So those are my questions and I'll um I'll be at study tonight. I can't wait to hear it.
1: <laughs> Okay, Cindy, thank you very, very much. Uh, the timelines are really hard, Cindy, because um, um, we have a lot of information. This guy lived this long and this guy lived that long. But we don't have all of the language or all of the information. There's there's gaps in there. So from the time of Noah, uh, the flood has happened. Uh, he gets off of the ark. Finally, it's on dry ground. Um, I, I think we can assume that it's probably around 5,000 years to the time that we live. So we, we, we can trace some timelines, but all we can do is come up with um, educated guesses for those kind of things. So my guess, and that's all it is, Cindy, is, is about 5,000 years. Um, but even that for sure, we don't know. Uh, if you look through those gene- genealogies there's a whole bunch of of um, people who are that they lived at the same time you know when somebody lives nine hundred years then um, um, we, we know uh, there are people that came later that would have fallen within that same time um, uh, jonah um, um, prophets we we can 't place the exact timeline of their lives um, we know that Noah lived 500 years after the flood um, and uh, that's pretty much all we know Cindy I know my producer is going to remind me but I can't remember now your second question or your first question
2: all Daniel's prophecies oh for- that's
1: right okay he did thank you He's, he takes notes uh, Daniel's prophecies uh, Daniel's prophecies, actually, if you go to chapters 11 and 12 in his book, his prophecies go all the way down uh, to the end of time, beyond the time that we live in. So not all of his prophecies are told. Now, primarily, Cindy, his prophecies are, are dealing with those countries, those nations around Israel, and most of them have been fulfilled but not all of them have been fulfilled. When we especially uh, look in Daniel chapter nine, uh, we we see the the stunning predictions of the Antichrist and um, uh, the the very end of the time, the great tribulation, and certainly those are are things that haven't yet happened yet. Again, most of his prophecies are fulfilled because they deal with the the, the nations uh, around Israel, uh, and they tell. History in advance, uh, certainly in arrears to us, but in advance, with unbelievable precision. So one of the reasons that Daniel has always been attacked by critics uh, of the Bible is nobody could nobody could be that exacting. Well, of course we know that God could, but not all of his prophecies have been fulfilled. Uh, the abomination that causes desolation uh, in the very end times, in the millennial, uh, not the millennial temple, but but the temple that's rebuilt. Um, uh, in the Great Tribulation, uh, those prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Floresville talk with our friend Margaret. Margaret, thank you for calling. It's good to hear from you.
3: It's good to hear from you. I have a bad connection. I don't know if you can hear me. I hear you well. Okay. I have um, a prayer request. I I know that your audience prays. So I today got a definite take-back date for Natalie to go to New Orleans. So I'm asking that people start praying for her mom right now. I think that her mom wants to follow Jesus, but she has no one there who encourages that, I'm afraid. Uh, maybe one or two people, but the, the people closest to her don't encourage that. And okay. I want Natalie to go back. Uh, and be able to pick up almost where she left off here. And my other prayer request is that Natalie's dad, who uh, might have a chance to come to your church, I snagged him for years to come to your church. And if he does, I hope that he'll come forward and someone can tell him that his daughter prayed for him. Right.
1: (laughs) Oh, hey, can, can you give us Natalie's mother's first name only so we can we can pray?
3: Denise. Uh, she uh, said this sinner's prayer with me about three years ago and then ran from San Antonio like her pants were on fire. And so uh, somebody close to her uh, told her that, that you, she didn't mean it, that uh, she wasn't really saved and Jesus wasn't really in her heart. And that just hurts and just hurts me terribly so I want her to have as many prayers as possible and you said one time you pictured Jesus in heaven saying come on ask me just ask (laughs) so I'm asking the audience to just ask
1: yeah we will be praying Margaret thank you very much in fact I'm going to pray right now and then uh, I will continue to pray and so will much of the audience Um, Father, you know all the things that Natalie has seen and done. You can hear the broken heart of a grandmother who has um, given her a solid foundation in who you are. Lord, we pray that your presence travels with her, that she's always in remembrance of the times in the Word, the times that her and Grandma sat and talked about Jesus. I pray, Father, by the power of your Spirit for her mother, that her mother will... Um, come to that moment where she realizes that life apart from you is meaningless and, and, and the, the frustration will, will result in her crying out for help dear God by the power of your spirit do this for your glory and since Margaret asked Lord we'd also like to pray for Natalie's father may he come to the end of himself and since Margaret's been trying to get him to come to our church we pray Lord that he will come and that the Spirit will slice and dice and open his heart and bring you glory by adding to your family. Again, I want to pray for Margaret in her hurting heart. Tell her, well done, Lord. She has rightly represented you, and that will never leave Natalie. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Margaret, God bless you. We will keep you in our prayers as well. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, I started to end the program yesterday with a question from Eric. And I thought, well, I can do this in a minute. And I thought, no, this is, this is a little more important. So I'm going to start with it again here today. Eric's question was uh, asking me, are you familiar with the Jesus Seminar? And he wanted to know my thoughts. And Eric, I am, in fact... I'm pretty intimately um, um, familiar with it. When when I first got saved and was really digging into everything I could find to really find out about our Bible, where it came from, um, I I found the Jesus Seminar. It's a bunch of liberal scholars who uh, concluded that Jesus, and, and I don't know why this number has always stuck with me, Eric, but it has, but their conclusion was that Jesus probably only really said about 13% of the things that are in red letters in our Bible. And of course they threw out all the things that dealt with miracles and and those kind of things because they didn't believe in miracles and and these are godless men and they're looking to attack the Bible they're higher critics, supposedly Uh, and uh, um, they will have a lot to answer for. Men who uh, claim to be teachers but um, don't know what they're talking about with such confidence um, but the the Jesus seminar was uh, basically to d- debunk the Bible and its teachings its claims uh, and it's just more liberal theology uh, which is um, always what comes from the heart of unsaved men so uh, I, I did a lot of reading. Uh, from the Jesus Seminar way back. And uh, I just thought, how could people be so wrong? And, um, you know, they simply, they don't believe in the supernatural. Uh, They don't believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And if you start from that kind of a shaky foundation, Eric, then you're going to always end up in a really, really dangerous place. And uh, not only are they individually in dangerous places, but they are... Um, guilty of causing lots and lots of people to stumble. Liberal theologians, and liberal means nothing political here. Liberal means that they, they, they simply don't take a, a high view of Scripture. Um, they want the Bible to say what they want it to say. The parts that they don't like, they just throw out. And it's still happening today. Here's a question from Greg. May I please have your thoughts on marijuana and Christians using it Um, Greg, I I get this question with some frequency, um, and uh, marijuana is just something Christians shouldn't do. Um, I realize that we live in a time where it's now legal in a lot of places. Uh, I realize there are people who are are saying, well, it's medicinal. I'm using it for medicinal purposes when they're really using it to get high. Uh, Marijuana is damaging. It it, uh, has demonstrably been shown to, uh, to uh, damage our brain cells um, but more than that it's a violation of our agreement with God when we get saved and we call him Lord then we've got to do what he says and he says that we're to be sober minded and nobody is sober minded especially with the potency of marijuana uh, in this day and age nobody is sober minded with one toke of a joint And God wants us to be sober-minded. He wants us to be faithful and obedient. And marijuana is not something Christians ought to do, period. I've had all of the arguments. Well, it's just an herb. God made it. God made a lot of things that are bad for us. And marijuana is one of those things because it affects us. One other thought on this, Greg. Um, when we get high... Um, on this drug or any other drug. Uh, What we're doing is we're giving Satan a a hole to attack us. Not just our brain, but our subconscious. We're, We're inviting evil spirits to come in. Now, that's not the function. I mean, that's not what we try to do. But the point is that when we start messing around with, with our minds, remember he is, Satan is the preeminent psychologist ever, and he's so much stronger, so much more powerful than we are, and he doesn't need our help in causing us difficulty. When we do drugs, we're just giving him an opportunity to create all kinds of problems and pain for us, so it's really, really important. Christians should not do this. Christians shouldn't be drunk. I would prefer Christians never drink at all. I realize that's not the biblical position, but moderation and being sober is a biblical position. And uh, in my position, uh, Greg, if you've seen uh, the, the the pain and the damage that I've seen caused by alcohol. Um, You wouldn't want anything to do with it. Jesus is enough. Here is a question from Jorge. He says, I'm trying to get my girlfriend interested in going to church, but she's really skeptical and not too interested. How can I get her to be interested? Uh, Jorge, you're not going to like what I say here. Uh, The best way you can get your girlfriend interested in going to church is to tell her that she cannot be your girlfriend. Tell her, you love Jesus... And Jesus would not want you to be with an unbeliever. And then maybe, just maybe, she'd wonder what's so special about your Jesus that you would choose him over her. But make no mistake, Jorge, the Bible says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And to to be dating somebody, potentially to lead to marriage, to somebody who isn't born again... Is, is to ensure to guarantee a lifetime of pain So here's what you tell your girlfriend can't be you can't be my girlfriend anymore I'm going to be going to church if you want to go to church with me well you've got my number and I'll bring you to church but no dating uh, no relationship uh, with an unbeliever and I realize how impossible that seems especially, If, um, you know you got saved after you started dating but I'm telling you God knows what's best for you he wants you to be able to follow him unencumbered and Jorge from a practical level let me ask you this why would you want to have a relationship with somebody who doesn't love your Jesus why would you want to she may be the best looking girl in the world she may be The girl of your dreams, you thought. But Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So you take a stand with him, and then she will see that you really do care about this Jesus, that he really does matter to you. And I promise you the Holy Spirit will start using that, Jorge. But this isn't about her going to church. This is about her getting saved. And if you care for this girl, and if you care anything for the fruit coming from your life, then what you need to do is is be sure that she gets it. Jesus matters more to you than anything or anyone ever. So it's very, very important. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're in the last three or four minutes here of this half of the program. Rita asks, "When Saul summoned Samuel with the witch of Endor, was it really Samuel or a demon?" Um, Rita, if the simple reading of the passage indicates, I think clearly that it really was Samuel. Now remember, we're we're not to summon familiar spirits. The witch knew it. Saul knew it. That's why he dressed in disguise, Um, but he was afraid. And Samuel was his go-to guy. Now, there's a, a good testimony of the value of witness. Samuel's witness for God, his faithfulness to God, stuck with Saul long after Samuel was dead. So in his time of need, he wanted to talk to the man of God. And, and God, in his uh, wisdom, allowed Samuel, summoned Samuel up from the dead. The witch of ender you'll remember, was just shocked And instantly she knew that it really was Saul. And she thought she was going to be executed. But uh, it really was Samuel. And uh, it's just God who is the Lord of all of the spirit world. He simply allowed Samuel's spirit to appear. It wasn't God approving the fortune-telling or the seance. It was simply... Oh, you want to hear from Samuel? Okay, here's what he's going to tell you. And you remember, Rita, what he told Saul. Today you will be with me. And he didn't mean you'll be in heaven with me. What he meant is you're going to be like me. You're going to be dead. I mean, this is this is your last night on earth. Tomorrow you're going to go into battle. And you and your sons are going to die. And so when God allowed Samuel to appear, it was a statement of judgment. That's very important. It wasn't. And approval at all, and I've had people say to me before, well, you know, God let Saul do it. No, Saul did it on his own, and then when Samuel's spirit appeared, it was a message I promised that Saul didn't want to hear. So it really was Samuel. It wasn't a demon, uh, and uh, everybody in the story knows it, and I think it's really, really clear. Jeremy asked this question. Um, Pastor Ron, is there proof of hell or of the devil? Uh, a couple of things, Jeremy. First, um, um, the the only proof we need is that Jesus spoke of both hell and the devil. That's the proof that we have. Now, I don't know if you're looking for for um, scientific proof. I don't know what you're looking for in the church, but but remember, Jesus, who is God, who cannot lie, Jesus spoke a lot about hell. And that's all the proof any of us should need. Now, of the devil, I can give you some practical proof. Uh, we know that Jesus also spoke about the devil a lot. Uh, he is consistent through our pages of Scripture. But on earth, I mean, let me tell you one thing that proves the devil is real, and that's the state of Israel the people of Israel have been the most persecuted people in the history of the world and all of the anti-Semitism all of the hatred and the attempts to destroy them are proof of a devil who hates Israel with every fiber of his being we've got 30 minutes left in the program 340-9585 or toll free eight seven seven six three zero kslr we'll be back in two minutes
2: have time to call into the word to stand on for life no problem if you've got questions you can email them to pastor ron at pastor ron KSOR at gmail.com that's pastor kslr at gmail.com
0: back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the second half of our show today, the Wednesday edition, 340-9585. I don't normally plug my Bible studies, but Uh, If you are struggling a little bit with self-esteem or feeling valuable, um, you might tune in to tonight's Bible study. Man, you, me, we are the best thing God ever did. And so tonight we're going to be studying the sixth day uh, of creation. I think I'm going to be able to go over into chapter two for just three verses, uh, the seventh day when God rested. But um, God's crowning achievement is, is... creating man best thing he's ever done his work of art his masterpiece so that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio at 7 o'clock child care of course is provided and your kids will also be taught the word here's a question from Manny uh, I hear people tell me that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is for us but when I read it, it seems it's just for Israel, which is true. Manny, you're right. Uh, it's a promise for Israel. If you read the context of the passage, you remember that Jeremiah was a prophet during uh, the, the, the post-exilic time in uh, in Israel when they were being taken away into Babylon in three separate waves of exiles. And um, Jeremiah and, and other Jews would think, well, God's deserted us. God's lied to us. He's broken his promises. In Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven, the verse we all know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And then he makes these great promises. Well, those are, in context, uh, prophecies of a future kingdom where the Messiah, the Christ, will sit on the throne of David, and we know, of course, that's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but we know it's going to happen. So uh, I think when somebody says, "Well, God told me that God has a plan for me," principally we can take the application from that verse. But if you're going to rightly divide the Word of God, many um, you've got to understand to whom the promise was made, uh, who the prophet or the writer in a book was writing to, and under what circumstances, um, and, and, and then you don't get kind of goofy. There's so many promises that were given to Israel that you'll see on bumper stickers or refrigerator magnets, uh, and, and those promises have nothing to do with us. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, um, he's not talking to us. This isn't about our nation. This, that, that prayer is always used on our National Day of Prayer. And the United States isn't God's people. So Jeremiah twenty nine eleven was strictly for Israel. Now, the, the principal promises to us are still valid. Uh, God had a plan for Israel. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for you, Manny. And, uh, and God's plans are always to prosper you, never to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. He knows all of those things. And so we can trust in Him But when we take the promises out of context, that's where we find ourselves getting in trouble. So uh, you are rightly dividing the word, Manny. Keep it up. Tim says, um, what are your thoughts about unbelievers playing on worship bands in church? Um, Tim, if there are unbelievers uh, playing on a stage in church, it is not worship. It ceases to be worship the moment somebody is participating who is a believer. Now remember, the people on stage are the ones that are representing. They're the ones that are are singing these lyrics, and they can come from an empty, empty heart. But but believe me, if that's the case, if you've got a church that has unbelievers playing on the worship team that's when you need to go to your pastor and say um, you know it's not worship how can somebody who doesn't love God somebody who's an enemy of God God says you are either for him or against him how can somebody who's against God lead worship I realize there's a lot of pastors that want really really good professional performances but that's not what we're supposed to do in church we're not supposed to perform we're there to worship Tim, years ago, when we were just here um, getting started, I was doing a Bible study at Randolph Air Force Base, and uh, there was a, a, a guy there who, um, in the chaplaincy, who decided he was trying to, wanted to boost church attendance in, in, in the, the, the chapel centers uh, on base, until he wanted to have a contemporary service, and he was going to get really good music, and and uh, because I knew him from the chaplaincy center there, uh, he said, would you really come? Maybe you can bring a couple other people. We, we really want to get this kicked off well. And so I, I went, and Paul and I went. And um, um, when I heard the worship, instantly when I heard the worship, I knew something was wrong. Something was missing. And my first thought was, well, they're playing the same songs, same kind of songs that we play. And they're doing it well, but there was just something missing. And I could put my finger on it. And one of the guys I knew who was on the worship team came to talk to me. He said, "So, Pastor Ron, what did you think about it?" And I said, "I don't know. I mean, it, you, the performances were good, but there was just something missing." And he said, "Well, you know, not all the guys are believers." And then he told me that they're doing it because they were getting paid a lot by the Air Force to do it. You could always tell. Tim, when something's missing, so this is an issue that I think once you go to your pastor, if he says no, nope, that's just what we're going to do. Uh, I think that's that's a decision that personally I would leave a church for um, the worship time. However, the worship manifests; it's not always it doesn't always have to be music, but however the worship manifests itself, I think uh, Tim that uh, it, it is one of the most important times that we have uh, in our gathering together. The house of God needs to be a house of worship. It needs to be a house of prayer. It needs to be a house of fellowship. It needs to be a house of God's word. It needs to be a house of service. Those were the things I prayed for every day for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio to become before there really was a Calvary Chapel. I mean, we met with a few people, but in those very early stages when you're kind of struggling and don't know what's going on, Uh, Those are the things that I wanted Calvary Chapel to be. Every church needs to do that. So that's something that I would personally leave a church over. Um, If somebody is willing to have unbelievers at the altar of God, um, they're offering strange fire. I had a question yesterday about Nadab and Abihu. They, They were executed by God for offering strange fire. God isn't killing people anymore like that, but Believe me, if we've got unbelievers on stage, uh, we are um, offering strange fire to the Lord, and it's never, ever an acceptable worship. Here is another worship question. i got to call first before. Hold on. Let's go to Phyllis in San Antonio. Phyllis, thanks for calling. How are you doing?
4: Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me okay?
1: I can hear you well.
4: Oh, good. Um... I had a question. Uh, we, we as uh, born-again believers, uh, we know we uh, constitute nothing toward our salvation, but yet we uh, God in his sovereignty, he offers us a gift. Um, I was reading uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and the question I have for that is, uh, what does it mean to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? And also I had a... Uh, I had a, another question, which was this uh, coronavirus, and mm-hmm. um, I would I would like to know how you see this. Is this more of a plague? Is this more of a something we ought to be alert to? But, uh, just really taking it seriously, or uh, I just need to know your thought on that. And I would appreciate your answer. I'll and, do it. Uh, thank you, thank so you much, very much. Y'all.
1: Yeah, I've Thank missed you. seeing you, so love you, and God bless you. Look forward to seeing you again soon. I am um, I'm, I'm just told my producer, just told me about the coronavirus thing, that our president's going to talk about it uh, on national television tonight. Um, I can tell you only this about it, Phyllis. It's not a, a judgment, a plague from God. Um You know, when God judges people, he doesn't judge Christians. That's why we're going to be out of here before the Great Tribulation. It doesn't mean that Christians don't suffer. It just means that that God separates his people from his judgments. Uh, We can't be judged because Jesus has already been judged in our place. Our sins have been judged. So um, I know there are people thinking, well, this is a plague from God. Now, one of the other things that has been clear to me, and I've talked to, to Paul about this, is that it, it's real easy with something like this that's that's uh, now seemingly in a full-fledged outbreak. Um, um, it's easy to see how the plagues in Egypt earlier, a picture of the plagues during the Great Tribulation, the judgments of God, it's easy to see how things are going to spread. I mean, it's very easy for God to wipe out large numbers of people. Um, and, and when he does it, of course, in the great tribulation, we'll be gone. And and the world is going to be judged. And there's going to be boils and there's going to be people dying all over the place. So um, it's just, this is a, a reminder only of how easily God could wipe out everyone, everything, um, when the time comes is right. Um, so, Phyllis, I, I, you know, I don't know really... Um, other than that, what to say? Other than to say, we we um, shouldn't panic. We shouldn't be afraid. Uh, we ought to be diligent, of course. Um, but uh, it is inevitable that the coronavirus is going to get here, uh, and we who are believers ought to respond differently than those who are not. So rather than worry be overwhelmed by worry rather than be afraid um, we can cast those cares on the Lord as well it's, uh, it's scary I understand that nobody wants to be sick and especially with the, the, the fatality numbers that it's producing um, but our trust is in God and we need to do that so I hope that uh, is enough for that question regarding working out our salvation with fear and trembling Uh, Phyllis, if God had said work for your salvation with fear and trembling, we'd all be in trouble. So all Paul is saying is walk every day in the presence of God with a healthy fear of God. So when Paul's writing to them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it speaks of of having a healthy fear of God, um, a fear of of disobeying Him, a fear of disappointing Him. Um, But to work out means every day to have your eyes on Jesus, to be with him. And as you're with him, following him, not doing what you want. Jesus said it this way, to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, Luke adds the word daily, and follow him. So that's what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Instead of giving in to your flesh, instead of giving in to temptation, um, we're going to stay the course. We're going to walk with Jesus every day we're going to make the choice no matter what the world does no matter what the people around us do we're going to make the choice to walk with Jesus so thank you Phyllis. really good to hear from you I've missed your hugs uh, let's go to San Antonio and talk with Melanie online too Melanie thanks for calling you're on the air
2: um hi I, you, I may have just caught the tail end of a question that maybe someone just asked but okay. I was just wondering okay um the last time I spoke with y'all, I was very upset about the Super Bowl halftime show. But yes. okay. actually, um, since then, I've actually just, um, you know, just been spending time with God every day and reading the Bible every day. I was doing that before, but I just was so preoccupied with everything, mm-hmm. and. Then I just asked him if he could just please help me, just help me mature in him, and um, and so it also I've noticed it calms my anxieties and my fears <laughs> and all that. So my question is: is okay? Everyone is super upset about the coronavirus, mm-hmm. and is something wrong with me because I'm not scared. Because I'm like, well, look, I'm I'm here. I'm spending time with God every day. I'm just gonna keep cleaning my house. Cause even someone was like, you gotta get rid of your animals, and I'm like, I'm not getting rid of my animals. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just gonna trust in the Lord. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I said, I've not heard any of these world health organizations or any leaders to tell people to call on the name of the Lord. You know, or <laughs> pray. So I'm just like I'm not scared, and I'm not, you know, I'm just not scared. And I think I was just wondering. You know, is that abnormal?
1: <laughs> Actually, it's it's not uh, uh, not only not abnormal. But it's, um, it's a demonstration of just how much you really are maturing. You know, Melanie, I think you're more mature than, uh, than you give yourself credit for, because that's exactly what we're going to do. Let me, let me recommend something for you to read. You can read it tonight, uh, Psalm 46. It begins with, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea though its waters roar and foam when the mountains quake with their surging. Um, um, I'm going to trust in God. That's what he says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place with which the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail or fall. God will help her at the break of day. Um, that's what that psalm is for. I'm going to go back even farther. I remember when Y2K was, everybody was freaking out of Y2K. And people say, aren't you afraid? Aren't you buying extra food and extra drink and that kind of thing? I said, I said no, Psalm 46 says God's got this. Um, when 9-11 happened, Psalm 46 has got this. God is the one who's in control. We are in his hands. And all you're doing, Melanie, is taking Jesus' counsel very personally, which is the way he always intends for it to be, when he says, be anxious for nothing don't worry about tomorrow today has enough of its own to worry about and I am with you and then of course later he promises he will never leave us or forsake us and, and to not be afraid is a sign this is what Paul says it'll be a sign to those that are afraid that there's something different about us and we're living in perilous times and there's a lot of things that go on in this world um, I'll give you another example um, you have no idea the number of people that are selling security and gun training programs and self-defense to churches because of the relatively few church shootings that we've had. And I just said, look, I don't want my people coming to church thinking about getting shot. I want them to come here to, to meet with Jesus. I don't want to let fear cause me to overreact. I want... I want to be focused on Jesus when we come to church. So my job isn't to protect the people. My job is to lead them to Jesus, to teach them about Jesus. Now, obviously, we take um, um, practical measures, but the idea that we're going to dress it in a, in a uh, church assembly or or we're going to let people know this is what to do if a, if somebody comes in here with a gun, there's just no way to do that. I choose not to worry. And... Um, Melanie, what I'm doing and now what you're doing is exactly the same thing. You know, when Job said, should we accept only good and not bad from the Lord? God gives, God takes away, and then he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now again, I don't want to get sick. I want to keep doing this until Jesus is ready for me to come to be with him or he's ready to take the, the church out in the rapture. But when these things happen to us, Our faith is going to be tested, and we're going to demonstrate, not just to others, but even to ourselves, what the quality of our faith always was. So, Melanie, what you're doing is you're growing in the Lord, and it is so great to hear that Uh, you took our counsel uh, when you called in and asked that question, and God has given you a peace, and that peace will never leave you. It's a peace that passes understanding. People that know Christ just don't get it. But that's okay. You know him. You trust him. It's the kind of peace that the Apostle Paul had when he was in the Philippian jail. Having been put in stocks and having his back ripped open, he and Silas, in the middle of the night when it looked like they were going to be executed at first light, they decided that all they could do was, let's sing some hymns to God. And of course, as they sang, you know the story, the earth began to shake, their chains fell off, and yet they didn't run away. There was a jailer who saw how they lived their lives, and that jailer said, what do I do to be saved? And that's what God will use you to do, Melanie. He will use you as an example for the people both close to you and those who are sort of uh, tangentially exposed to you, they say, why doesn't she act like we're acting? Why isn't she afraid? Why does she have peace? And when they come to talk to you, you're going to tell them it's because of Jesus. So, Melanie, what you're doing is um, growing up. Blessings, blessings, blessings. You blessed me a bunch. Thank you very much. Five minutes, you said. Five minutes left in the program. Here's an anonymous question. Another worship question. Uh, pastor, on, um, I'm a pastor. How much latitude do you give your worship leader in terms of style, song selection, etc. for the worship service? Um, anonymous. I give my worship pastor almost complete. Um, latitude I mean uh, uh, two things one uh, I know him so well he is a son to me and I know him so well I know his heart I trust him uh, with my life uh, and he knows what I want Um, uh, let me tell you what I've told my worship pastor over the years Um, I've told him don't talk sing or pray period uh, we're up there to worship, we're not there to hear little sermons, and of course that was at the very beginning, he's never done anything like that. Um, um, our style is pretty, we're, we're consistent, we are we do contemporary Christian music typically, um, and um, uh, I figure that God has anointed him to do this, and I certainly know that God chose him to do it, so I want him to seek the Lord, and it works out really well for me. Uh, A lot of times my whole message will change as I'm listening to the lyrics of the songs that I've chosen. So uh, I I simply don't have problems. Let me tell you a couple of things that I have told him. Uh, I have asked that we don't do one song. There's a a very popular song uh, that the lyrics are just stupid. And and, um, after a couple of times hearing it, I just said, you know, please don't do that song here at Calvary Chapel anymore, and I don't want it done in the children's worship or anything else. And then every once in a while, and I mean almost never, but not even once a year, um, I will ask him to do a song for a message because I know that um, the direction, the message that the Lord wants me to take it. And so I will ask him to, to, uh, would you include this song? But that happens so infrequently that it's just not something I ever have to be concerned about. I have been so blessed, Anonymous. I have... I had two worship pastors in now almost 25 years. Uh, One for 10 years. The other one has been here uh, now going on 13 years. And I haven't had a moment's difficulty with either one. The only reason the first one left is because God had um, raised him up to go plant a church. Uh, That's uh, Troy Neely, who is the pastor at Calvary Chapel Solid Rock in north central San Antonio. Uh, And uh, he was just... Um, Perfect for us for those first 10 years Um, and and then when uh, he was going out to plant the church um, I needed somebody else and and, uh, through prayer the Lord made it really clear Uh, he had no idea that I was going to ask him and um, believe me I wouldn't change my worship pastor for the most famous most gifted man or woman out there uh, I just think I've got the best worship pastor ever. And uh, his team, he, has, he is really a pastor to them. He loves them, and he gives them direction. So um, um, he he can do what he wants. I trust him completely. He's actually going to be um, teaching. We've got a Texas-Oklahoma Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference coming up in um, April in Dallas area. And uh, he's been asked to teach uh, on the worship breakout sessions. So, hey, appreciate the questions and the phone calls today. Melanie, I'm so pleased to hear you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. This time with Paul on the Date Day Show, ladies. It's your day. God bless you. See you next week.